chapter two of our friend the charlatan this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. our friend the charlatan by george gissing chapter two in the moments when dyce lashmar was neither aware of being observed nor consciously occupied with the pressing problems of his own existence his face expressed a natural amiability inclining to pensiveness the features were in no way remarkable they missed the vigour of his father's type without attaining the regularity which had given his mother a claim to good looks such a visage falls to the lot of numberless men born to keep themselves alive and to propagate their insignificance but dyce was not insignificant as soon as his countenance lighted with animation it revealed a character rich in various possibility a vital force which by its bright indefiniteness made some appeal to the imagination often he had the air of a lyric enthusiast often that of a profound thinker not seldom there came into his eyes a glint of stern energy which seemed a challenge to the world therewithal nothing perceptibly histrionic look or speak as he might the young man exhaled an atmosphere of sincerity and persuaded others because he seemed so thoroughly to have convinced himself he did not give the impression of high breeding his oxford voice his easy self-possession satisfied the social standard but left a defect to the finer sense dyce had not the self-oblivion of entire courtesy it seemed probable that he would often err in tact a certain awkwardness marred his personal bearing which aimed at the modern ideal of flowing unconstraint sipping the cup of tea which his mother had handed to him dyce talked at large nothing he declared was equal to the delight of leaving town just at this moment of the year when hedge and meadow were donning their brightest garments and the sky gleamed with its purest blue he spoke in the tone of rapturous enjoyment and yet one might have felt a doubt whether his sensibility was as keen as he professed or imagined all the time he appeared to be thinking of something else most of his remarks were addressed to miss bride and with that manner of intimate friendliness which he alone of the family used towards their visitor he inquired about the events of her life and manifested a strong interest in the facts which constance briefly repeated let me walk with you as far as the station he said when the time came for her departure please don't trouble constance replied with a quick glance at mrs lashmar's face still resentful under the conventional smile dyce without more words took his hat and accompanied her the vicar went with them to the garden gate courteous but obviously embarrassed pray remember me to your father miss bride he said i should much like to hear from him it's chilly this evening remarked dyce as he and his companion walked briskly away are you going far to hollingford 
but you'll be travelling for two or three hours what about your dinner oh i shall eat something when i get home women are absurd about food exclaimed dyce with laughing impatience most of you systematically starve yourselves and wonder that you get all sorts of ailments why wouldn't you stay at the vicarage to-night i'm quite sure it would have made no difference if you had got back to hollingford in the morning perhaps not but i don't care much for staying at other people's houses dyce examined his companion's face she did not meet his look and bore it with some uneasiness in the minds of both was a memory which would have accounted for much more constraint between them than apparently existed six years ago in the days of late summer when dyce lashmar was spending his vacation at the vicarage and connie bride was making ready to go out into the world they had been wont to see a good deal of each other and to exhaust the topics of the time in long conversations tending ever to a close intimacy of thought and sentiment the companionship was not very favourably regarded by mr lashmar and to the vicar's wife was a source of angry apprehension there came the evening when dyce and constance had to bid each other good-bye with no near prospect of renewing their talks and rambles together what might be in the girl's thought she alone knew the young man effusive in vain of friendship seemed never to glance beyond a safe border-line his emotions satisfied with intellectual communion at the moment of shaking hands they stood in a field behind the vicarage dusk was falling and the spot secluded they parted constance in a bewilderment which was to last many a day for dyce had kissed her and without a word was gone there followed no exchange of letters from that hour to this the two had in no way communicated mr bride somewhat offended by what he had seen and surmised of mr and mrs lashmar's disposition held no correspondence with the vicar of alverholme his wife had never been on friendly terms with mrs lashmar how dyce thought of that singular incident it was impossible to infer from his demeanour constance might well have supposed that he had forgotten all about it is your work interesting were his next words what does lady ogram go in for many things you prefer it to the other work it isn't so hard and it's much more profitable by the by who is lady ogram asked dyce with a smiling glance a remarkable old lady her husband died ten years ago she has no children and is very rich i shouldn't think there's a worse-tempered person living yet she has all sorts of good qualities by birth she belongs to the working class by disposition she's a violent aristocrat i often hate her at other times i like her very much dyce listened with increasing attention has she any views he inquired oh plenty constance answered with a dry little laugh about social questions that kind of thing especially i shouldn't be surprised if she called herself a socialist that's just what she does when she thinks it will annoy people she dislikes 
dyce smiled meditatively i should like to know her yes i should very much like to know her could you manage it for me constance did not reply she was comparing the dyce lashmar of to-day with him of the past and trying to understand the change that had come about in his talk his manner it would have helped her had she known that in the ripe experience of his seven-and-twentieth year dyce had arrived at certain conclusions with regard to women and thereupon had based a method of practical behaviour towards them women he held had never been treated with elementary justice to worship them was no less unfair than to hold them in contempt the honest man in our day should regard a woman without the least bias of sexual prejudice should view her simply as a fellow-being who according to circumstances might or not be on his own plane away with all empty show and form those relics of barbarism known as chivalry he wished to discontinue even the habit of hat-doffing in female presence was not civility preserved between man and man without such idle form why not then between man and woman unable as yet to go the entire length of his principles in everyday life he endeavoured at all events to cultivate in his intercourse with women a frankness of speech a directness of bearing beyond the usual he shook hands as with one of his own sex spine uncrooked he greeted them with level voice not as one who addresses a thing afraid of sound to a girl or matron whom he liked he said in tone if not in phrase let us be comrades in his opinion this tended notably to the purifying of the social atmosphere it was the introduction of simple honesty into relations commonly marked and corrupted by every form of disingenuousness moreover it was the great first step to that reconstruction of society at large which every thinker saw to be imperative and imminent but constance bride knew nothing of this and in her ignorance could not but misinterpret the young man's demeanour she felt it to be brusque she imagined it to imply a proposed oblivion of things in the past taken together with mrs lashmar's way of receiving her at the vicarage it stirred in her heart and mind already prone to bitterness a resentment which of all things she shrank from betraying is lady ogram approachable dyce asked when his companion had walked a few paces without speaking does she care to make new acquaintances it depends she likes to know interesting people well dyce murmured a laugh perhaps she might think me interesting in a way her subject is mine i'm working at sociology have been for a long time am getting my ideas into shape and i like to talk about them do you write asked the girl without raising her eyes to his no people write too much we're flooded with print i've grown out of my old ambitions that way the greek philosophers talk by word of mouth and it was better i want to learn how to talk to talk well to communicate what i have to say in a few plain words it saves time and money i'm convinced too that it carries more weight every one nowadays can write a book and most people do but how many can talk 
the art is being utterly forgotten chatter and gabble and mumble and abuse of language what's your view i think perhaps you are right come now i'm glad to hear you say that if i had time i would tell you more but here's the station and there's the smoke of the train we've cut it rather close across the line you'll have to run sharp they did so reaching the platform as the train drew up dyce allowed his companion to open a carriage door for herself that was quite in accord with his principles but perhaps he would for once have neglected them had he been sure by which class miss bride would travel she entered the third you wouldn't care to introduce me to lady ogram he said standing by the window and looking straight into the girl's eyes i will if you wish she answered meeting his look with hard steadiness and a frown as of pain many thanks rivenoak hollingford the address suppose i call in a few days if you like the train moved dyce bared his head and as he turned away thought how contemptible was the practice walking briskly against a cold wind he busied his imagination about lady ogram the picture he made to himself of this wealthy and original old lady was very fertile of suggestion his sanguine temper bore him to heights of brilliant possibility dyce lashmar had a genius for airy construction much of his time was spent in deducing imaginary results from some half-presented opportunity as his fancy wrought he walked faster and faster and he reached the vicarage in a physical glow which corresponded to his scintillating state of mind of constance bride he thought hardly at all she did not interest him her proximity left him cold she might be a useful instrument apart from his method that was the light in which he regarded all the women he knew experience had taught him that he possessed a certain power over women of a certain kind it seemed probable that constance belonged to the class but this was a fact which had no emotional bearing with a moment's idle wonder he remembered the circumstances of their former parting he was then a boy and who shall account for a boy's momentary impulses constance was a practical sort of person and in all likelihood thought no more of that foolish incident than he did why are you so eccentric in your movements dyce said mrs lashmar irritably when he entered the drawing-room again you write one day that you're coming in a week or two and on the next here you are how could you know that it was convenient to us to have you just now the woolston boy has a cold dyce replied and i found myself free for a few days i'm sorry to put you out not at all i say that it might have done dyce's bearing to his mother was decently respectful but in no way affectionate the knowledge that she counted for little or nothing with him was an annoyance rather than a distress to mrs lashmar with tenderness she could dispense but the loss of authority wounded her dinner was a rather silent meal the vicar seemed to be worrying about something even more than usual when they had risen from table mrs lashmar made the remark which was always forthcoming on these occasions so you are still doing nothing dyce i assure you i am very busy answered the young man as one indulgent to 
an inferior understanding so you always say when did you see lady susan oh not for a long time what vexes me is that you don't make the slightest use of your opportunities it's really astonishing that with your talents you should be content to go on teaching children their a b c you have no energy dice and no ambition by this time you might have been in the diplomatic service you might have been in parliament are you going to waste your whole life that depends on the view one takes of life said dyce in a philosophical tone which he sometimes adopted generally after dinner why should one always be thinking about getting on it's the vice of the time why should i elbow and hustle in a vulgar crowd a friend of mine lord dymchurch what you have made friends with a lord cried mrs lashmar her face illumined why not i was going to say that dymchurch though he's poor and does nothing at all is probably about the most distinguished man in the peerage he is distinguished by nature and that's enough for him you'd like dymchurch father the vicar looked up from a fit of black brooding and said ah no doubt mrs lashmar learning the circumstances of lord dymchurch took less pride in him but went on to ask questions had his lordship no interests which might serve a friend could he not present dice to more influential people i should be ashamed to hint that kind of thing to him answered dyce don't be so impatient mother if i am to do anything in your sense of the word the opportunity will come if it doesn't well fate has ordered it so all i know is dyce that you might be the coming man and you're content to be nobody at all dyce laughed the coming man well perhaps i am who knows at all events it's something to know that you believe in me and it may be that you are not the only one later dyce and his father went into the study to smoke the young man brought with him a large paperbacks volume which he had taken out of his travelling bag here's a book i'm reading a few days ago i happened to be at williams and norgate's this caught my eyes and a glance at a page or two interested me so much that i bought it at once it would please you father i've no time for reading nowadays sighed the vicar what is it he took the volume a philosophical work by a french writer bearing recent date mr lashmar listlessly turned a few pages whilst dyce was filling and lighting his pipe it's uncommonly suggestive said dyce between puffs the best social theory i know he calls his system biosociology a theory of society founded on the facts of biology thoroughly scientific and convincing smashing socialism in the common sense that is social democracy but establishing a true socialism in harmony with the aristocratic principle i'm sure you'd enjoy it i fancy it's just your view yes perhaps so here's the central idea no true sociology could be established before the facts of biology were known as the one results from the other in both the ruling principle is that of association with the evolution of a directing power 
an animal is an association of cells every association implies division of labor now progress in organic development means the slow constitution of an organ the brain which shall direct the body so in society an association of individuals with slow constitution of a directing organ called the government the problem of civilization is to establish government on scientific principles to pick out the fit for rule to distinguish between the multitude and the select and at the same time to balance their working it is nonsense to talk about equality evolution is engaged in cephalizing the political aggregate as it did the aggregate of cells in the animal organism it makes for the differentiation of the select and of the crowd that is to say towards inequality very interesting murmured the vicar who listened with an effort whilst mechanically loading his pipe isn't it and the ideas are well marked out first the biosociological theory then the psychology and ethics which result from it the book has given me a stronger impulse than anything i've read for years it carries conviction with it it clears one's mind of all sorts of doubts and hesitations i always kicked at the democratic idea now i know that i was right ah perhaps so these questions are very difficult by the by dice i want to speak to you about a matter that has been rather troubling me of late let us get it over now shall we dice's animated look faded under a shadow of uneasiness he regarded the vicar steadily with eyes which gathered apprehension it's very disagreeable pursued mr lashmar after puffing a pipe unlit i'm afraid it'll be no less so to you than to me i've postponed the necessity as long as i could the fact is dice i'm getting pinched in my finances let me tell you just how matters stand the son listened to an exposition of his father's difficulties he had his feet crossed his head bent and the pipe hanging from his mouth at the first silence he removed his pipe and said quietly it's plain that my allowance must stop not another word about that father you ought to have spoken before i've been a burden to you no no my dear boy i haven't felt it till now but as you see things begin to look awkward do you think you can manage of course i can don't trouble about me for a moment i have my hundred and fifty a year from mrs woolstan and that's quite enough for a bachelor i shall pick up something else in any case i've no right to sponge on you i've done it too long if i had had the slightest suspicion a sense of virtue lit up dyce's countenance again nothing was more agreeable to him than the uttering of generous sentiments having reassured his father he launched into a larger optimism don't suppose that i have taken your money year after year without thinking about it i couldn't have gone on like that if i hadn't felt sure that some day i should pay my debt it's natural enough that you and mother should feel a little disappointed about me i seem to have done nothing but believe me i am not idle money-making i admit has never been much in my mind all the same i shall have money enough one of these days and before very long try to have faith in me if it were necessary i shouldn't mind entering into an obligation to furnish such and such a sum yearly by when i am thirty years old 
it's a thing i never said to any one but i know perfectly well that a career perhaps rather a brilliant one is opening before me i know it just as one knows that one is in good health it's an intimate sense needing no support of argument of course i'm glad to hear you speak like that said the vicar venturing only a glance at his son's face don't i beg worry about your affairs pursued dyce with kindling eye cut off my supplies and go quietly on he stretched out a soothing hand palm downwards the responsibility for the future is mine from to-night i take it upon myself much more in the same vein did dyce pour forth obviously believing every word he said and deriving great satisfaction from the sound of his praises he went to bed at length in such a self-approving frame of mind that no sooner had he laid his head on the pillow than sweet sleep lapped him about and he knew nothing more till the sunlight shimmered at his window a letter awaited him at the breakfast-table it had been forwarded from his london address and he knew at a glance that it came from mrs woolstan the mother of his pupil the lady dating from a house at west hampstead wrote thus dear mr lashmar you will be surprised to hear from me so soon again i particularly want to see you something has happened which we must talk over at once i shall be alone to-morrow afternoon do come if you possibly can sincerely yours iris woolstan dyce had come down in a mood less cheerful than that of overnight as happened sometimes he had slept too soundly his head was not quite clear and his nerves felt rather unsteady this note from mrs woolstan he knew not why caused him uneasiness a vague prevision of ill was upon him as he read he had intended passing the day at alverholme and on the morrow travelling to hollingford now he felt no inclination to hazard a call upon lady ogram he would return to london forthwith no bad news i hope said his father when this purpose was announced mrs woolstan wants me back sooner than i expected that's all his mother's lips curled disdainfully to be at the beck and call of a mrs woolstan seemed to her an ignoble thing however she had learnt the tenor of dyce's discourse of the evening before and tried once more to see a radiance in his future End of chapter two